We hope you enjoy listening to this podcast of St. Louis on the Air, brought to you by University College at Washington University. With undergraduate and graduate programs, part-time, evening, and online. University College at Washington University, offering world-class education within reach. Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. Today we're talking with the folks from the Granny Annie Family Story Celebration. As the name implies, it's a project to encourage youngsters to compile and preserve family histories while they can. They're then encouraged to write about them. The best of the stories are published by the folks at Granny Annie. Joining us are Connie McIntyre, Executive Director of the Granny Annie Family Story Celebration, who joins us by phone from Colorado. Fran Hamilton is the organization's Associate Director. She is with me in studio, along with Aidan McCoy, a sixth-grade student in Webster Groves. His story was published this year. Thank you all so much for being with us. Thank always, you for having us. Tom. I always know it's the holiday season when I talk to Fran and Connie <laughs> every year, every year. It's been a lot of fun. Connie, let me start with you. We've plowed this ground before, but there are always people out there who may not be familiar with, uh, with Granny Annie. Um, tell us why you think preserving these family histories is important. Well, as you said just a moment ago, Don, uh, the opportunity to save these stories is limited. So the sooner we can get them down on paper, the, the more likely we are to be able to share them with, with current and future generations. Uh, and, of course, the, the value of the family stories is one thing that we, uh, I'm sure we'll talk about more this morning. And in addition to that, the Granny Annie involving young people in the writing of the stories uh, brings a, an educational component to the, the which is uh, has its own benefits in many ways. Teachers like the Granny Annie because it helps them teach the skills they're they're wanting to teach to their to their young students, and um, it's an exciting writing opportunity for young people. It gives them an opportunity to write for a bigger audience and to really hone their skills and and uh, think about. Uh, how important what they have to write is. It's not just another assignment that's going to end up in a, in a drawer somewhere. This is something that matters to them, to their families, and to all of us. Over the years, how many stories have you accepted, do you think, from these youngsters? Oh, that would be fun to add up. I don't think Actually, we have I have the answer to you that. All right, yes. Fran, go ahead. Have, have we... Well, I'm not sure how many we've accepted. We have published 455 stories uh, and they have taken place in 64 countries on six continents over a span of nearly 400 years. Our oldest story was about someone who fell off the Mayflower. So we are very close to 400 years. That's passing a story down over a good many generations, isn't yes. it? Yes, yeah. yes. Uh, Fran, who was Granny Annie? Well, Connie could better answer that than I because Connie... Uh, was a friend of Granny Annie, and uh, I, I could tell it, but Connie could tell it better. All right, well, let's have Connie do that. Oh, I'd be delighted to. About hmm, 30 years ago, could it be? I was working with families to help them preserve their family stories, and one of the first people I worked with was a woman named Annie, and her mother was a born storyteller, and Anne was concerned that these stories would be lost as her mother aged. And so we worked together to preserve their family stories. We made four small volumes of stories, actually. It was a delightful experience. And Anne not only recognized the value of 
family stories for their own immediate family, but she also recognized the value of those stories for the community where her family had lived for many years and beyond the immediate community. She saw how we can all learn from and appreciate and have our horizons broadened by hearing one another's family stories. So that was Anne many years ago. And so when Fran and I uh, got the idea for the Granny Annie and needed a name for it, of course, Anne came right to mind because she really had planted that seed many years before. We're going to hear a couple of those stories uh, today, and one of them is from Aidan McCoy, who is also with us in studio. Aidan, what got you interested in doing this? My teacher, actually, it was an assignment that we had to do, and she made all of us do it. It was really fun, and uh, and I like doing it. Give me some sense of what your story is about. We'll hear it a little bit later, but what did you write about? I, write, I wrote about a war that was on my great-great-great-aunt's property. Um, you can go see that now. It's actually a museum. Where, where is it? Is it in Missouri? It, yes, it is. Um, it is near Springfield. Oh, okay, right. Now um, that that was a long time ago. From whom did you get the uh, the story and the details of this story? My grandma and grandpa. It it was passed down through the years, and it got to my grandpa. My grandpa had some framed artifacts and stuff from that story. So that's been passed down for obviously for several generations now. Fran, how have the stories changed over the years, or, or have they? In terms of reference points, you talk about going back 400 years. I, I notice, for instance, and I see them, have seen them all for the last couple of years, that there are always a lot of World War II stories. There are. There are a lot of World War II stories. Um, one thing we noticed, well, when we first started doing this, we sort of had to define what is history. We, you know, we wanted historical stories and, you know, how far, how old did a story have to be to be considered history? And we decided the first year that anything that happened before the child was born, before the author was born, we would consider history. So we're now getting stories about 9-11. Um, I'm trying to think if there was a, a major event si since 9-11. You know, we've had stories about the Gulf War. Uh, so we're getting some stories about uh, more recent things. Uh, the other stories, um, there, there is kind of a sameness about them because we have some stories that just involve everyday events. Uh, and the story that Connie will read is kind of an example of that. It's, it's kind of unusual, but it's about a Thanksgiving dinner, which is an everyday event. Um, and then we still have um, stories about, as you said, World War II mm -hmm. and uh, 
things that took place quite a long time that, ago. That generation is, mm-hmm. is passing on uh, at this point. But still their stories ca- can be handed down just as the Civil War story was that Aiden sure, wrote about. Sure. Connie, what about the quality of the writing? Has that changed at all? The kids are so immersed in their devices these days. I wonder if the writing has suffered for that. Oh, not at all. Not at all. We have some beautifully written stories. And uh, we, the Granny Annie's in a unique place as far as writing experience because it, it's really open to, uh, equally available to writers of all capabilities um, because the content of a story can really carry, uh, carry the story through if, if the author is maybe not as accomplished as a writer. But what our hope is is that each child who participates will improve their writing to some degree. And um, we, we encourage them to do that, to, to really go through the writing process. Um, any writer who's writing for a, a wide audience wants their writing to be the best it can be. And so that's what we encourage our young writers to do as well, is to um, you know, write a first draft, get some feedback, do some revising, read it to another audience, uh, Find, find how you can make your story better. I love how Fran has said it in the past, and when she was talking to young writers, she said, write your story in a way that makes it as, as meaningful to the reader as it is to you. That's what we're trying to help kids do, is communicate through their writing. Is that the way you did it, Aiden? I went through seven drafts, and <laughs> yeah. Where, oh, yeah. Where, <laughs> yeah. Well, there there are a lot of published writers who are very well known. Who I'm sure have done at least seven drafts with some of their famous famous work. Were your classmates as enthusiastic as you are about this project? They uh, they liked it. It's hard to tell. They were in their devices a lot and. <laughs> See, that's what I was thinking, that, that there's so much of that going on these days. I, I hope it doesn't diminish the skills of young people and their ability to write. Well, let's give a listen to, uh, to your Civil War story. Anything you want to say about it before we, uh, before we listen to it, Aiden? It will, it will tell everything. It's self-explanatory then, yeah, huh? Self-explanatory. All right, let's listen to your Civil War story. Bloody Hill. My name is Olivina Ray. Most people call me Olivia, and I am six years old. I was not frightened by the war at all, but after the battle on Bloody Hill, my mind changed. One day, I was playing with my six siblings on the porch, and suddenly a soldier marched up the yard and shouted at me, Get the heck inside. There's going to be in battle, and we're taking over your land. He barked with an accent. More soldiers were behind him, preparing for the battle of their lives. Most of the children scrambled into the cellar, but I managed to stay upstairs with the adults in all of the chaos. The house was crowded enough when there weren't soldiers around, but now they turned our humble home into a medical center with soldiers crawling around every inch. I got to see the battle from our front porch while sitting on my grandpa's favorite rocking chair. I saw movement in the corn, but I didn't tell anyone. The soldier yelled at me before, found me and my grandpa, and escorted us to the cellar door and pushed us hard into safety. 
It was loud outside because of the gunfire, cannons, and men wailing. But in the cellar, those noises were amplified. I couldn't sleep or think. It looked like my grandpa couldn't either. We had enough. When all was quiet, my grandpa slowly climbed up the ladder and opened the hatch. First one foot, then the other. He swiftly stepped out. Kapow! A cannonball struck the ground, barely missing Grandpa's feet. The force was so strong, he slid down the ladder, hitting every rung on the way, and bruised his head. That was the end of curiosity for him. When my family finally came up from the cellar, five days later, most of our crops were trampled. There was blood. They were dead and injured soldiers. It was the worst sight I ever saw in my life. I slipped down the slippery hill towards the corn and saw someone alive. It was General Nathaniel Lyon. My family hauled a wagon down to him, and soldiers wheeled him to our house. And that's where he stayed until he passed away later that night. The Battle of Wilson Creek, also known as the Battle of Oak Hills, was fought near Springfield, Missouri on my family's property, August 10, 1861. This is the story of my great-great-aunt, Olivina Ray, who saw the battle with her own eyes. My family would later sell this property to the government for the greater good. That's Aiden McCoy, a sixth grader in uh, Webster Groves. Aiden, very nice job. You get bonus points, by the way, for the southern accent. <laughs> very nice, very nice job. Thank you. Yeah. Friend, um... Let's go back to the, the the quality issue. You 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 get an awful lot of uh, submissions every year. I know we do. It must be very very difficult for you to choose the ones you finally publish. What what generally differentiates them? Well, it it is difficult. Fortunately, we have a large selection committee that helps. Um, each story is read by at least three people, and some stories are read by as many as seven or eight people. So, well, we, we look first for a, a good story that's well told, um, maybe something a little bit unusual. Um, I, I don't, it's, it's hard to say. Um, you know it when you see it, I guess, is the way it, uh, it boil, what it boils down to. To some extent, yeah. yeah. There are some stories that we recognize immediately as a story that we'll want in the book, and there are others that um, where the choice isn't so quick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Connie, uh, more young men or more young women participate? Hmm, I don't think I can answer that because we don't actually look at uh, that information. Um, we That's just not something we have... Uh, thought was important, I guess. I would say, I would say of the stories that we've published, probably there are a few more uh, young women than young men. But um, when we read the stories, we, we don't want to know who wrote it. We don't want to know if it was a boy or a girl. We don't want to know even actually how old they are. We don't want to know what school they're from or what state they're from or what country they're from. We just want to focus on the story itself. Fred, how about working with the, the schools and working with teachers? I, obviously, this is a kind of a partnership, but how does, how does that work? Uh, 
before I answer that, I want to mention just one other thing in relation to the previous question about girls and boys. Yeah. We do have um, a girls' school that submits a lot of stories each year. So for that reason, you know, that could tip the balance of number of submissions sure. between boys and girls. Um, we do work to some extent with teachers, although once teachers find out about the Granny Annie, they really can do it pretty much on their own. Uh, we're in contact with them um, if we have questions about something, if they have questions about something, um, as we're working uh, to get questions about stories resolved, we work with both families and teachers so that if something involves uh, a historic event that people are likely to know about, we want to be sure that factual information is correct within that story. Of course, you know, if, it, if it's simply a family story that took place at home, that we don't have a way of verifying at all. So even Granny Annie has fact checkers, huh? We, I guess it's, we do. <laughs> it's necessary everywhere these days, yeah. that's for sure. Aiden, who are the better writers in your class, the boys or the girls? The girls, I think, <laughs> because we had four people submit and got in. Well, our whole class submit, but four people got in, and one of them was me. The rest was girls. All righty. Well, there's, there's an interesting observation. Our time is starting to wind down a little bit, and I want to be sure to get uh, Connie's story in because as we're getting ready for Turkey Day tomorrow, uh, yours, Connie, has a Thanksgiving theme. Do you want to set it up for us and then, then read? Yes, I'd be happy to. Yeah, I'm going to share with you a story that is published in this year's volume of Granny Annie, volume 13. And as uh, we talked about earlier, we have a lot of stories uh, published and, and submitted each year that relate to historic events. And we also have a lot of stories that are just memorable stories from family life. And, and uh, this is one of those. This family story was written by Lucy Abbott Fader. She's a student in North Carolina. And she shared the story called, Where's the Cake? When members of a large family get together, funny things are going to happen. A funny thing happened one Thanksgiving at my great-grandma's house in Winterville, North Carolina. My mom was five years old. She and her siblings called this grandma Mama Vera. She passed away when I was two years old, so I don't remember her at all. However, my mom said Mama Vera could make a great Thanksgiving feast. For dessert that year, Mama Vera had a beautiful coconut cake baked by a friend of hers. My mom said the cake cost $20, which was a lot of money for a cake in 1985. This cake was special because it was made with fresh coconut, not coconut from a can. The baker had to crack the coconut open, grate the fruit out, and save the juice. Each layer of the cake was soaked in coconut juice. After everyone finished eating the delicious feast and dessert, all of the ladies spent an hour cleaning up. The stacks of china and silver had to be washed, dried, and put away for the next year. Then Mama Vera began looking for the coconut cake because several people wanted another slice. Everyone got up from the table and started looking for the cake, but no one could find the cake. Even Uncle Linwood, my great-great-uncle, 
started looking for the cake. Now, he didn't actually get up to look for it. He just looked across the room from his seat and kept saying, where's the cake? Where's the cake? Finally, Uncle Linwood gave up on the trying to find the cake. He slowly pulled himself up from the table to join the hunt. That's when my mom spotted the cake. There it was in the chair, as flat as a pancake and twice as big around as before. Uncle Linwood had been sitting on the cake the whole time. He had fluffy white icing and coconut bits stuck to his pants. The funniest thing was he was still looking up and down for the cake. He just didn't look behind him. Everyone started chuckling, and by the time Uncle Linwood realized where the cake was, he was laughing too. So that memorable event was captured by, again, Lucy Abbott Fader of North Carolina. It's in Volume 3 of Granny Annie. I'm sorry, 13, Volume 13 of Granny Annie. And you will never live down that particular episode, <laughs> episode I'm sure. <laughs> and I suspect that tomorrow there will be a lot of stories, maybe not exactly like that, but that will uh, go down in family legend and lore over the years. Fran, um, are you having another uh, session this year where you're going to be soliciting stories, or are you at that point yet? Where are you? Absolutely. We've contacted teachers to uh, invite them again. They don't really need an invitation, but we've uh, reminded them about the Granny Annie. It's, it's good for students to start well ahead of time by reading some stories that have been published before. That's a good way for any student to get into uh, being ready to write his or her own Granny Annie story. And by the way, all of the stories that we've published are on the Granny Annie's website, and in fact, they're all indexed. So people can easily find a story on a particular topic of interest to them, and teachers can easily find personal, historical family stories that would enhance their curriculum. Okay, we'll put a link to your website on ours at stlpublicradio.org. Okay. Uh, I, I, I don't know as I asked this before, uh, Connie, but what, what is the age range of the kids that uh, you're, you're looking for? Yes, it's ages, our grades 4 through 8 here in the United States. If you are a homeschooled student, we ask that you be between the ages of 9 and 14 years, and uh, all, that goes also for international students. Okay, well, that's easy enough, and I'm, all that information, I'm sure, is on the website. So, Aiden, uh, you're eligible, I suppose, to uh, to try another story. Do you think you will? Um, uh, maybe. <laughs> okay, we will see. <laughs> where, where where are the books, the, the hard uh, copies of the books available, friend? Uh, there are books available at, well, copies of Volume 13 available from Left Bank Books, um, and there are previous volumes available from the Granny Annie. Um, Connie, I think I'm forgetting something. Yes, uh, our 10th anniversary book, Echoes from World War II, Young Writers Sharing Family Stories, is available through Amazon as well. Okay, great. Well, they're readily available. That's good to know. We have a caller. I can't take the call, but says uh, says the uh, book is also available at the Missouri History Museum. So if that is or isn't, we'll... Find out. Anyway, I, I don't think they have any books there now. Yeah, okay. They were available there when we had our our annual festival there on the ah. first Sunday in June. Uh-huh. Okay. But they, they don't keep them well, on we'll, hand. 
we'll strike that from the list then. We've got to end that right here. I want to thank you both, all, Connie McIntyre, Fran Hamilton, and Aidan McCoy for being with us and bringing us up to speed this year once again on the Granny Annie story. Thank you. Thank you, Don. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU.